Hey, you're listening to the Church Planters Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Floro. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode as I interview Joby Martin. Joby is the lead pastor of the Church of 1122 in Jacksonville, Florida, and he's also the author of the book, If the Tomb is Empty, Why the Resurrection Means Anything is Possible. I really enjoyed this conversation with Joby uh, because he gives us a behind-the-scenes look at the culture of the Church of 1122 and how they got to where they are now, Uh, but he also gives us just great practical advice for church planting. And so you're not going to want to miss this interview with Joby Martin. But before we jump in, just want to remind you that if this content is helpful for you, hit subscribe so you never miss an episode, and then also leave a rating or review. And that really helps this podcast jump to the top of the search bar when when people are looking for church planting podcasts. So it really helps us get the word out. And with that said, let's jump now into my interview with Joby Martin. We have Joby Martin on the Church Planners Podcast. Uh, Joby, it is an honor to have you on. I appreciate you taking time to uh, to join us on this podcast. It's my pleasure, Jordan. Thanks for having me, buddy. Yeah, man. And hey, before we, we jump in, I just want to publicly just say how much I appreciate you and your church. And thank you so much, first of all, for uh, all that you've done personally for me um, and then the way that your church has led in in the church planting world so well over the years so uh, let me just start just saying thank you um want to jump in and talk about uh the book that you came out with if the tomb is empty um want to i'd like to get into that but before we do that i'd love for you to share a little bit about the church of 1122 and uh and specifically about the culture that you guys uh, have at that church would you share a little bit about the history of 1122 and how you got to the point where you are right now yeah, well, I've been in ministry since I was uh, 19, and I'll turn 49 this year. And um, we planted this church about 10 years ago. So, you know, I had like 20 years of church staff experience going into this. And so just like a whole bunch of guys that have planted a church, you know, you've sat in the back row of churches that you've been on staff at. And there were some really wonderful things that you thought, man, we should always do that. And there were some other things you thought, nope. Never, I would never do that if I was in charge. <clears throat> and so I uh, actually started a service at a church that I was the youth pastor at here in Jacksonville. And then after about 18 months, the service outgrew the church. We had multiple services. And my senior pastor, who's the best Christian I've ever known, a guy named Jerry Sweat, said, I think you should plant a church. I didn't even know what that was. So we Googled it, and that's how we got connected to like Acts 29 and folks like that. And then long story short, we, we planted and um, God breathed on it, and we've been able to reach a lot of people. But one of the things I did in regards to culture is I just sat down with a notebook and really wrote this for our staff, but wrote a code of conduct for our staff. And it's just 10 things that we are going to do. Um, some of them are more aspirational than others, but this is the way as a staff that we will conduct ourselves, And so that you know, and I'd never been on staff anywhere that had just established, here's what our, I mean, everybody had mission, vision, and values because, you know, of all the great church growth folks and the seminars they did back in the day. And everybody's kind of sounded the same because they all stole them from the same three churches. Uh, and those things are important. We have a vision and all that. But 
but as a staff, this is what we were going to be towards one another. And so you were going to be evaluated on it. We were going to challenge one another towards it, um, those kinds of things. And so I just wrote, and we still do those things, those 10 things. And then we have a staff meeting every single week. And when we first started, it was kind of like Duck Dynasty. We just all just sat at the table, had lunch together, and I'd talk about stuff. And then as it's grown, uh, we still have a staff meeting every single Tuesday. And everybody from all of our campuses comes on in, and it is all about culture. And my job is the, the culture creator, the culture curator, and uh, the one who ought, who ought to lead out in culture. So we just made it a really, really big deal. Would you share a couple of those uh, staff behavior? Is that what you call them, a staff behavior or just code values? Of code of conduct. Would you share yeah, a couple of those? Even if you don't value them yet, I don't care. I need you to conduct yourself this way. Even if you sure. got to fake it till you make it. This is, this is how we will conduct ourselves. Um, I don't know. One is we glorify God by honoring one another. The book of Romans says outdo one another with honor. So um, I had come out of environments where there was no honor. Everything was critique and criticism, uh, cynicism and sarcasm. And I don't want that here. I want to treat one another with honor. I want to respect one another. It doesn't matter where you are on the org chart, but um, we do. We just try to outdo one another with honor. And that's the way we talk to each other, the way we talk about each other. Like, for instance, we call our pastors pastors and elders elders and that kind of thing. And nowhere is that written down. What is written down is we will outdo one another with honor. And then I just try to lead the way. Any opportunity I can respect somebody else and show honor to other staff and volunteers, we just do that. And so if you see somebody disrespecting or dishonoring somebody, that'll get you in trouble very fast. Another one is um, that we are family and we love your family. Mm -hmm. And we know that there are some shadows to that. Man, listen, (laughs) I, I can't I grew up in a day where where I mean I heard from pastors people say like listen you're like Moses coming down off Mount Sinai and people can't they don't need to see your struggles and your junk because then they won't be able to respect you as a teacher and a leader and a preacher and I thought man that might be true for you but that's terrible what a miserable life that would be mm. you know and, yeah. and I heard people say look you're a shepherd not a sheep and so those are different and I'm like well okay whatever man I'm doing this with my friends and family and we go treat each other like family. So, and we care about your family. And so um, I, one of my hopes and prayers is that spouses of all of our employees feel like, man, the best thing we ever did is come work at this church. Hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. A lot of times, uh, you know, in, in, in my seat as a church planter uh, with the relationships that we have, uh, that's that's one of the things that I, I struggle with of, of how much do you it, it, I don't think it's um, how authentic are you because you, you want to be authentic no matter what. Uh, but how much do you let other people in? And uh, it, and it's a fear thing, I think, from a from a leadership position. Yeah, Jesus let Judas all the way in mm. and he knew he was going to betray him. Wow. So what do you do with that? Yeah. yeah if hey, you try to protect yourself by building a wall around you, you'll just alienate all of the significant relationships that you hope to have. Now, again, man, listen, that's just the way we do it here. So like, if you just want to clock in and clock out and get your job done and not be a part of what we're doing, this would not be the place for you to come on staff. There are a lot of staffs that would love for you to do that. 
and they'll say things like we're an army, we're not a family or we're a business. We're not a family, you know, yeah. and we just need for you to do your job here. And that's it. And we're like, well, okay, but here we care more about how you're doing than what you're doing. Yeah. And, and I've seen that firsthand in, in your staff. I went on a, a fishing trip with Adam Flint, who is multiplication pastor at, at your church. And we were out on a boat and he was sharing about a friend of his that uh, had some struggles. And, and he said, man, we were just on the boat together. And if he would have just talked to me, we could have worked some stuff out. Uh, but he said that exact thing that you just said. He said, man, I care how more how you're doing than what you're doing. And in that moment, it was like, oh, that's kind of a cool thing. Uh, but several months later, there came there, there came up something in my life that I'm like, I could share this in, in risk or I, I could keep that to myself. Um, and I chose to, to believe him in that. And I said, Adam, man, I'm, I'm, I need your help with this. I need some, uh, some advice with this. And, uh, and he came alongside of me and, and supported me and, uh, worked through things with me and, and, and lived out what you're saying, uh, in, in just the, the best way possible. And I think for me, as a result, I am a healthier pastor I'm a healthier individual, I'm a better husband, I'm a better father, uh, all because he said what you just said, and, uh, and I believed him. Uh, it's huge. And so as a, as a church planter, what are the things that, that you would recommend I do with the teams that I lead to uh, establish that culture? I would write them down, vocalize them, and repeat them. That's it. Write them down. Because everybody has their own idea of what they think is right and wrong, what they think is is they're nailing it in the culture, or what they think the values are. But I would clear, I'd write them down. I'd be very clear. This is how we're going to treat one another, and then I would verbalize those things. I would repeat them. I would share wins around them. So the way we start every all staff meeting is we just share wins, and they are tied to either the vision of the church. Like we'll share, hey, this is. You know, we got youth camp this weekend and this many people got saved. And a lot of the wins are just one of the values. Like somebody will stand up from our kids ministry and say, hey, I just want to thank facilities, man. Because we had this big thing and facilities went over above and beyond to help us. And that's great because we are, um, you know, we're, we're gospel centered and mission focused. And they, they weren't just focused on what their job description was this week. They were mission focused and they knew the mission was this. And so we try to tie those wins to... Um, our code of conduct. So whenever we bust somebody getting it right, we want to celebrate that. That's awesome. Hey, in the book, you talk about uh, your journey in planning 1122, and you, you alluded to it a little bit in, in what you shared. Uh, but originally, it was a, a contemporary worship service at an existing church, outgrew the church to where the pastor came to you and, and had that crucial conversation. How would you counsel somebody who uh, might be in an existing church, but feeling led to, to maybe plant? Um, man, I think, I think the healthiest future for planting churches is to raise up and plant out of existing churches. I mean, I just think God always works in and through authority. And if you're at one of those churches, you know, why in the world would you expect God to ever give you any authority if you have not learned to live under authority? Jesus does not give Peter the keys of the kingdom until he confesses you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And um, so that's how it worked, man. I was submitted to a senior pastor, and he saw in me what I I didn't necessarily see in me. I was never trying to be a lead pastor. I was just trying to be faithful to what God had put right in front of me. But, 
you know, looking back, it was undeniable, man. He just breathed on it, and all these people are coming and getting saved. And and the other thing, bro, I didn't think it was going to work. And because I already worked at the church, it didn't have to work. Like, I just started a service. And if it didn't work, no problem, man. I'll just go back to my student service. That was fine. So we could be really, really genuine and authentic to who God created us to be to create the kind of services that we always dreamed about. I mean, that's what me and my buddies were doing. That was it. And I didn't think anybody would show up. And, and I didn't know this was happening all over the country. I didn't, how, how would you know, you know? And um, I was like, look, man, I, I just basically preached verse by verse for an hour. Nobody's going to come and sit through that. And then our worship guy was way too, like, emotional and passion, you know. And and we didn't sing any, like, happy, fun songs to do warm-up, you know. We just did the last night of camp every weekend. That's what we did. And then, but we did not have this, um, there wasn't like a, a tyranny of success hanging over us. We just did it. And then God breathed on it. And we're like, cool. So now we literally still do the exact same thing. I mean, that's what we'll do this weekend. I'm preaching a Psalm series. I'll preach for like an hour on Psalm 98 and we'll sing our faces off and call people to repent and confess their sins and follow Jesus. And we'll see what happens. That's great. In the book, you you share about a time where uh, you felt a little disoriented in ministry, uh, where where you were at a church that that wasn't a great fit for you. Uh, I think you were talking about the church that that was in Athens, Georgia, and uh, and it wasn't a great fit. You had some negative voices that were they're causing you to doubt whether you had it to had what it takes to be a pastor, uh, and you actually consider stepping out of ministry. You share a little bit of that story. Um, would you share about that experience and give some encouragement to some church planners who might also find themselves in, in seasons of disorientation? Yeah, man. Yeah. So I was, I was doing ministry in Athens and reaching a bunch of college kids on campus at, at university of Georgia. And then, um, in partnership with a parachurch organization there, but I was just a misfit in the church that I was at. I was, I mean, look, man, I'm a theologically conservative Orthodox guy, right? And this group of people had gotten into a denominational battle years ago and their side lost and they were mad. And I was, I was just too gospel, too Jesus-y, you know, and I would say that they were heretics and don't believe the Bible. So it, <laughs> it wasn't a good mix, right? Sure. Well, then I got two other job offers at that time. And man, I was a youth pastor. I was, you know, making almost nothing. And this guy offered me, two different people offered me a job making, I don't know, maybe four or five times as much. And it sounded sweet. And a couple things happened. One is I just went back to that old school idea of calling. Like, this was not my idea, man. God told me to do this. And until God says, I don't have to do this anymore, I got to keep doing what he called me to do. And then also, if you remember, like, Elijah comes off Mount Carmel, pretty epic day in ministry. You know, he smokes 850 prophets, pretty cool day, calls down fire from heaven. And then right on the heels of that, he gets a little discombobulated in his ministry too. One little voice of Jezebel freaks him out. He's laying by the stream asking God to kill him. Now, I didn't have suicidal thoughts or anything like that, but God sends a couple of angels and um, takes him to the place where God would meet him in the cave. Well, the angel God sent me was my wife. And and honestly, part of the reason I was considering stepping out of ministry, because at that point I thought I could, you know, provide for her financially in a way that I thought she would rather 
be provided for. But she's the one that spoke into me. It's like, I don't think God's done with you. I think you should give this one more shot, you know? And so she's the one that talked me into putting my resume out. And, and that's how we landed in Jacksonville. So I got a real gift with my wife. So without that moment, there's no 1122. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm sure since then, um, I mean, from, from the outside looking in, you know, 1122 hits, hits all of the, the benchmarks, right? I mean, you, you've, uh, you've got a great following, you've got a great staff, you've got, uh, the ability to, uh, support church planners like myself and, and sure. others. Um, but in that, I, I'm sure there's, there's those seasons of discouragement that, that every single pastor goes through. And, uh, how how have you been able to um to to maintain a steadiness over the past 12 years of of 1122 maintain a steadiness mm-hmm. to where um you know and, and maybe I'm speaking more than I should but but uh, it it still seems like that you are are following Jesus as a uh as something that um is giving life to you and it's not just a job to you uh, that comes across in your preaching, that comes across in your leadership. Uh, how have you been able to maintain that uh, over the long the long haul with, uh, with a lot of pressure on you? One of the biggest things I learned in leading through COVID and the you know pandemic and shutdown and riots and racial tension and <laughs> political upheaval is that, bro, no matter what you do, it's all three little bears, man. For some people, it's not enough. For some people, it's too much. And for some people, it's just right. And if you try to please everybody, just be miserable. And if you if you measure your successes um, based on any kind of like temporary man-made things, you'll be miserable. It'll just never satisfy. So, dude, we got, we got so many people coming to our church. I never would have imagined I'd pastor a multi-site church with whatever, 15 or 20,000 people. But listen, dude, none of those things satisfy. You realize that? Like, yeah. no matter what the attendance is this weekend, if it's less than last weekend, it don't matter. It just is like, oh, what's wrong? If you chase after those things. Yeah. So one of the things that fuels me, like, man, I had this, I had a meeting with a guy yesterday. He's been here for 10 years, serves, gives like crazy. He's great. And he just wanted to sit down and tell me all the things that we're doing wrong. And, um, and so that stuff stings, but man, when I get in my truck to leave, I'm just like, Jesus, I did not come here for that dude. I'm going to do what you told me to do, and whoever's with me is with me. In John chapter 2, at the wedding at Canaan when they run out of wine, this is like my favorite event in the scriptures right now. And Mary goes to Jesus and is like, hey, they're out of wine. And he's like, okay, what's this got to do with me? <clears throat> and then here's the best advice I can find in the scriptures for pastoring a church. Actually, for any step of discipleship is this. She gets the servants, brings them over to Jesus, and she says these words, do whatever he tells you to do. And that's what they do. And he tells them to do crazy stuff, man. Go get six stone jars, like, you know, the ones people are washing their hands in, they're the gross, yep, fill them up with water. What's that all about? Okay, get a ladle. And they're like, anybody got a ladle? Scoop some out, take it to the master of ceremonies. None of those things in and of themselves make any sense whatsoever. And little do they know there's a miracle hanging on the other end of a few steps of obedience. So when you're pastoring your church, bro, 
You just do whatever Jesus tells you to do, period. And then you trust him with all the other stuff. That's the only way I know to get through it. Because if you're shooting for any kind of man-made goals, trust me. I mean, if you would have told me 10 years ago that we'd be looking at budgets of, you know, 40 plus million dollars for our annual budget, you would think, oh man, I won't have a worry in the world then. Dude, the problems just get bigger and there's more commas. It's as tight as a tick right now, just like it has always been. It's just the facilities are bigger and there's more chairs. You know what I mean? There's more staff. And so none of that stuff can be your driver. It just simply has to be, God, I need to do what you called me to do, and then I'll trust you with the results. Yeah. Yeah, so in in your life, what does that what does that look like? What is what is the um, the unseen life for for Joby? We all see getting on stage, but, but what do those rhythms look like for you on a on a weekly basis um, of of the intimacy with God? Can I ask that? Is that an appropriate question? No, for sure, That's a personal man, question. Sure. But what does that, that look matters, like, man? Um, and I pay very close attention to it because. Like when these guys fail now, you know, 15 years ago when somebody failed, it might as well have been like Elvis or Chewbacca or Madonna. I don't know these people. I mean, we'd all heard of them. But a bunch of these dudes, like, I've been in green rooms with them and shared stages and, know, you know, at least kind of know them, text with them and that kind of stuff. And I'm thinking, yeah. what happened? man? So I pay very, very close attention to my weekly rhythms. One is I am afforded the ability to because – of the incredible team I have around me. You've mentioned a couple of guys already. Without some of those, the folks on my team, I wouldn't be able to do what I get to do. And almost every Monday morning, I get up, I go out into the woods, I hunt a lot. So when it's hunting season, and we have pigs in Florida, so you can always shoot something. And I sit in the dark with my Bible, and that's where I write 90% of my sermons. And it's not very efficient, but shepherding is rarely efficient. And I just sit with the Lord, and just, I pray the same prayer every Monday. God, they're your sheep. They're not my sheep. What do you want to say to your sheep? And and so that's a big part of my rhythm. Um, you know, I fight pretty hard for some time with my family to make sure that's that's good. But I go really, really hard. And I love it, man. I love ministry. I love that I get to do what I get to do. There seems to be this tone, and, and church planners can be the worst, man where everybody talks about ministry like it's miserable. Bro, it doesn't have to be. If if it's miserable, you ain't doing it right. You realize this is like the only season in the history of Christendom or history of the church that guys like me and you could even do what we're doing and like make a living and be able to eat hot food and sleep indoors and preach the gospel in English with an English Bible without getting martyred for it. We got it. And it's pretty good. So somebody saying some mean tweet about you, Suck it up, buttercup. People just get their heads chopped off for this stuff. So don't feel too sorry for yourself, Cupcake, you know. I'd surround, surround yourself with real friends. It goes back to the we are family thing. Here's, here's three things I see in guys that fall. And I may be a little sick, but I, I do a deep dive into this when, these, when, you know, when things go down. I see three things. There's probably way more than this, but here's what I see. One is they don't have local elders in their life. And before um, church planters like us began to grab onto that word elder, uh, it just meant old dude. 
You need some old dudes in your life and they need to be local so that they can see, see the way you talk to your kids. They can hear the tone of voice that you have towards your wife. They can see the way you treat people that work with you. So that matters. They need to be able to tell, you no. you need a life giving hobby hmm. and especially church planners, man. We're all looking for that zing, right? And so what I see happen, if you don't have a life-giving hobby to pour yourself into, that can steal your mind away from church, then people look for it in unhealthy ways, like Mm. drink way too much or some kind of weird gambling thing or talk to somebody that's not your wife or some kind of weird internet personality thing, you know? And so for me, it's hunting. I know it's dumb if you're not a hunter, but for me, it gets me all like, I love it. I'm into it. And then you need some like legit friends. Like, I mean, like if you have not been the butt of a joke lately, you live in a weird pastor ivory tower lifestyle. <laughs> that's not reality. Yeah. Like if somebody, people need to be able to make fun of you, you know, in the right context and all of that. And again, man, most of these people I see go down, they don't have those three things. I work on those three things very hard. I've got real friends. I've got life-giving hobbies and I've got legit old guy elders in my life that love me and look out for me. So in this season that we're in, um, so we moved up here two years ago. We're planting. Things are going, uh, going well. Um, we're in this season where we have some people, people that are that are on board. We've seen some people come to faith in Christ, uh, but we we lack some of those old guys, like you're talking about, um, yep. that that know us on a personal level. And and Dr. Paul, I use him as an example. He he's one that's been an encouragement to me from afar, but he doesn't see you know, how I talk to my wife. He doesn't see when I get frustrated with my kids. Uh, It can feel a little bit isolating. What should I do? How how do I find people like that in a place that um, there's just not a ton of of those type of people that I can lean on? So so you are going to have to grow them over time. But in the meantime, you just need to beg, borrow, and steal some folks. And that very well could be going to some existing churches where you're planted and say, I need some help. Can there, is there somebody here that can mentor me? Maybe not in pastoral leadership, but just as a, a leader and a husband, that kind of thing. Whether that's a civic organization or, or a church or you join some kind of pastor's network where there's some older guys there. Um, I've rarely met the man that if you just go to him and say, if you'll let me buy you breakfast once a month, would you come with me? And I just want to be able to ask you some questions. And then over time, you'll get to know each other and that kind of stuff. And I think I think that's what you got to do until you can build that into the culture of your church. That's great. Well, this has been super helpful. I want to I want to talk a little bit specifically about the book, uh, If the Tomb is Empty, that you wrote and released uh, this past spring. Uh, and, and one of the things that I, I like about it is just the way that it's structured. Uh, I think it's seven chapters, but it talks about seven mountains. But the reason I love it for church planters is because it's structured in a way that you could lead a small group uh, based on those seven things. And by the end of it, you've had some incredible conversations around the gospel. How have you seen God use it? What are some stories that you can point to? Yeah, man. Well, the the original idea came um I was leading a trip to the Holy Land years ago, years and years ago. Hmm. And it seemed like every time the bus stopped at a place, we were at another mountain. Hmm. And it just hit me. We were, I think I was sitting on the mountain of Beatitudes and I was like, 
man, think about this. When God carved into existence this peak, like he made some dirt lower, some dirt higher, right? He jams some tectonic plates together and makes this part of it stand up. And he knew this thing was going to happen in this place. Then I began to think about just the story of our own lives, that we are all mountaintop to mountaintop, and we're either on the mountaintop, in the valley, or coming out of it, every single one of us. So I just went back through the scriptures and started studying these different places. And we start with Mount Moriah. We end on Mount Calvary. And honestly, very few Christians know it's the same mountain. Hmm. which is mind-boggling. The place where Abraham takes his son Isaac and the Lord says, upon this mountain I will provide, is the mountain peak that Jesus pushes up on his nail-pierced feet and says, it is finished. Wow. And so um, we taught it here as a seven-week sermon series. We created podcast content for it. There's a workbook for it. All of our disciple groups went through it. And then, yeah, when we released it to the world, Man, I uh, at the end of the first chapter, we just share the gospel, put an invitation to surrender to Jesus, and then my email to say, if you did surrender to Jesus, please let us know so we can connect you to a local body. I get emails virtually every day of folks that are meeting Jesus through reading this book. And one of the coolest wow. stories is there was a kid that I, I kind of knew growing up in the town that I came from, Dillon, South Carolina, and... Um, <clears throat> This young man, his name's Jess Peel. He's, I've talked about him publicly now. Uh, I get an email, and and it just said something like a blast from the past. And he'd gone to Afghanistan, done a couple of tours, came back with some pretty severe PTSD, and just train wrecked his whole life. Train wrecked his relationships, got arrested a couple times, multiple DUIs, and then he thought, you know what, maybe I'll go to church. And one day he's walking to church, and he passes, and he he says this is the second time he'd been to church in 30 years. Hmm. And he's on his way to church, and he passes the Barnes & Noble, I think, and there's the book in the window, and he sees my name. And he thought, you know, how many Joby Martins can there be? He buys the book, reads the first chapter, surrenders his life to Christ, sends me an email updating me, and he's like, now what? So he's watching online, he's doing those things, and he just came down a few weeks ago. And we baptized him in the Atlantic Ocean as he declared Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. Bro, that story, if that's the only thing that happened, it'd be awesome. But there are longtime believers that are encouraged. Because honestly, man, I write like I teach. We just do a deep dive verse by verse through the scriptures. And then sprinkle in some illustrations to kind of lighten some things up. Um, but there are longtime believers that are deepening their walk with Christ. There's people that... One of the things I didn't expect, I don't, I don't know. This is my first one, so I've never done this before. Mm-hmm. People at our church or believers are buying like cases of books mm-hmm. to hand out to all their one mores. Wow. Like all of their employees. Hey, just read this. All Like Christmas gifts, you know, a birthday present, that kind of stuff. And um, so, yeah, we're seeing um, we're seeing lots and lots of people encouraged and, and a lot of people coming to Christ. That's amazing. Yeah, like I said, for for church planners, I think this is a uh, a, a great resource um, that that'll be encouraging to them, but also uh, a great resource to lead groups of people with, especially as you're establishing uh, that culture uh, of being gospel centered and, and mission focused. So, Joby, we're running out of time, but what are some final thoughts that you have for church planters? What I would say to all the church planners is 
Something you need to pay attention to that it took me a little while to figure out <clears throat> is um, you've got to figure out what your currency of ministry is, okay? Okay. And it changes depending on the season of your church. So like back in the day when I was a youth pastor, my primary currency of ministry was not the sermon. Dude, it's 200 high school kids. I know the Bible better than all of them put together every day, even if I don't prep. I mm. could just stand up there and make up some stuff. But my currency of ministry was relationships with them for a while. Then when it got big enough, it became developing leaders. Like the biggest impact I was going to have was not my talk to the high schoolers. And, but the problem is, is if all you ever do is like listen to me and my buddies online, you know, and you think that's it, and you spend 25 hours a week on sermon prep like I do, but you got 50 people in your church, that's dumb, bro. You could actually spend one-on-one -on -one in two weeks. You could disciple each one of them for an hour instead of spending all that time on your sermon. Does that make sense? I'm not saying the sermon's not important. It's very sure, important. Sure. But then it's it's probably like relationships at first, then you got to build system, then you got to grow leaders, then you're pouring into leaders of leaders, and then it's probably the biggest impact you're going to have is the quality of your sermon on the weekend. So with that said, and and man, I'm not talking about plagiarism and all that, but what I am saying is you can have everything I have ever written, rip me off, take all the content, use your own illustrations, squeeze your sermon planning time down into a third, and then take two-thirds of that time and go meet with people and pray with people, develop lead, whatever it is, the thing that you need to do. So like you're saying, that would be a good resource because there's already a workbook and there's the book. And honestly, man, if they reach out to you, you send me the information. I'll give them all my sermon notes. No problem, man. Take it all. Preach it all. You, you don't have mm -hmm. to even mention that it's for me, the mountain idea. Yeah. But just take that so that you can do whatever it is that Jesus has told you to do for the church that you're serving right now. Joby, I appreciate you taking time to, to join us on, on the podcast here. Yeah, man. My pleasure, bro. Hey, we're praying for you all the time. Your name comes up as we share wins. And uh, as you know, if you and your crew ever need anything at all, then you just reach out to us. We're here to help. Man, I appreciate that. And I appreciate your generosity, brother. Man, what a great conversation that we just got to have with Joby Martin. Um, so much stuff that we could pull from that uh, as we think about developing a culture in our church plants. Uh, but I think the thing that stuck out to me most was when he was talking about the opinions of other people, how everybody's going to, to have an opinion. And, and for some, it's going to be you didn't go far enough. Uh, for others, it's going to be you, you went too far. And others, it's going to be, man, you just did great there. Uh, but the way that he pulled that back and, and talked about it from the perspective of John chapter 2, when Mary told the, the servants to do whatever Jesus tells them to do, and to apply that to church planners and apply that to being a pastor, that for us, we just need to focus on doing what Jesus commands us to do. And, and if we can keep Jesus as at the forefront of everything that we do, uh, we'll be okay. We're going to make it. Well, that's all the time we have today for this episode of the Church Planters Podcast. But thank you again for listening. And uh, if this content's helpful, share it with a friend. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time.